0: In 50 AD, the Christians in Corinth felt stuck. They had all this newfound freedom in Christ. They, as our song just proclaimed, they got saved. Here they were. They they should, they they were given gifts by the Holy Spirit. So these early Uh, uh, First century Christians in Corinth should feel, above all things, they should feel joy and they should feel freedom. And yet, something was wrong. And what was wrong, I wonder if it will sound familiar to us. These Corinthian Christians had been told over and over in their culture a very subtle lie. They had been told that freedom means always keep your options open, right? Never obligate yourself. Never tie yourself down. Never fully commit. It reminds me of a very serious moment in a beautiful wedding. And the wedding was on this, out in South Carolina, on the coast. And Jackie and I had been invited as guests. We're sitting there, and it was on a golf course. Should be no problem, right? Right? And just as the preacher's leading this couple through their vows, some joker on the 18th hole yells out, Don't do it, bro! (laughs) This guy was goofing around and ruining a holy moment, but what he said runs deep for a lot of people. No, no, no. Keep your options open. Don't obligate yourself. Don't commit. Why? Because therein lies true freedom. It's a lie. It was a lie then. It's a lie. Now, freedom is not found in autonomy, seeing how independent we can get from everybody else, getting to the point where I don't need anybody. That's not freedom. Freedom is found in community. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last Sunday with you charismatics. We'll start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 if you were here the reason i called you charismatics you'll know paul is in the midst of correcting these corinthian christians telling them not to rank each other based on the perceived value or lack of value of their spiritual gift now he's going to talk about what it looks like to not try to get all independent and autonomous from each other but to become interdependent part of one another look at what he says in verse 12 and it's kind of a bombshell for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Messiah. Your version say, may say, so it is with Christ. Now, one of the most profound things here, I think, is one of the easiest to overlook. If you're not careful, some of you know where we're going with this. Okay, yeah, 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 the body of Christ, we've heard all this before. I get it. Just like the many parts of a body have to work together for the body to work. I get it. You're saying the same thing. The church has to work together. We all have different gifts. We have to work together for the body to work. Uh, uh, Yeah, we've heard that before. Yes, but that's not what the verse says. He doesn't say, yeah, the body's one and many members. Many members, though many, are one body. And that's how it is with the church. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, yeah, 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 this is a metaphor. That's how it is with the church. He says, look carefully, that's how it is with Christ. All the body members working together, that's how it is with Messiah. What's the big deal in pointing this out? When Paul says member, he doesn't mean like we normally think of member, you know, like like the church is like a club united by a common hobby, I guess, and our hobby is Jesus or the gospel. No, 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 we are his body. For Paul, writes Greg Ogden, the body of Christ is not just a metaphor or a helpful word picture, but it also points to the reality that Jesus dwells among his people and gives his life to them. I I know it's lengthy, but I thought this quote was worth putting on the screen. This is from Greg Ogden's book about discipleship. The church is not a human organism that has contracted by common consent to, you know, keep alive the memory of a great historical figure. On the contrary, the church is a divine organism, mystically fused to the living and reigning Christ. Now let that sink in. You, child of God, you born-again Christian, you are a disciple, you are an apprentice of Jesus. You, you all collectively, y'all are a royal priesthood. Y'all are aliens and strangers. And yes, all you charismatics, you are, you've each received a gift from the same spirit. And now in this passage in 1 Corinthians, breathtakingly, he's saying you are a part of Christ's body. An illustration might help. The guy who wrote first uh, uh, Corinthians, the apostle Paul, do you remember his testimony? Do you remember how he got saved? He was on his way to persecute more followers of the way. This, you know, Paul, a Pharisee, a a Jewish, uh, very zealous for the law, Jewish man, very zealous for the law. He's on his way to Damascus because he's heard there's these, there's more of these Christians, and he can go and persecute them. On the way to Damascus, he is intercepted by the risen Lord Jesus. Do you remember this? And he has this vision, and Paul is asked. Back then, his name was Saul. He was asked, Saul, Saul. He wasn't asked, Why are you persecuting my people, the church? What did he say? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, Saul says, I, I don't know you. I've never persecuted you. Who are you, Lord? Right? And then he explains the point is simple. Saul thought he was persecuting the followers of Jesus. Jesus says, What you did to these my followers, you might as well have done it to me. Why? They're my body. Now, we have to be careful here. We have to tread lightly because the body is a metaphor. Uh, you know, I've heard it said, you know, Christ has no hands but yours. Christ has no feet but yours. So you've got uh, thank God that's not true. Christ has a body. He is right now at the right hand of God the Father. So in that sense, we do well to remember a metaphor. But there's another sense in which I think you can say a Christian is so closely united to Christ, so in love with God, so wrapped up in Jesus, that to touch a Christian is in this way to touch Christ. No other religion is like this, where the founder is considered to be alive. It's not like he founded the religion and left us. He is the indwelling presence. Uh, In that sense, I wonder if anybody else can relate to this, just when I needed it, Anybody else but me? I have, in my lifetime, I have received a hug from the Lord Jesus. I have, in my lifetime, wept with Jesus because I wept with some of you, see? Uh, When I was a bachelor pastor in 2002, 2004, sometimes I would come home to my apartment and I would see that Apparently, Jesus had left some food at my door with an anonymous note like, Pastor, we're worried about you. <laughs> Apparently, I wasn't eating very healthily. <laughs> who, who gave me that gift? Well, you might say Jesus did. In fact, I remember in New York, this couple gave me a gift and I tried to thank her and she said, oh no, not from me, from Jesus. And I was like, well yeah, I know, but he used you. Let me, and she said, no, not from me, from Jesus. Now, I laugh about that, but in a way, she's right. Does everybody see what I'm saying? The body of Christ. So how can I look at you? Poor Paul has got this church that's broken down in divisions and factions, and they're looking down on each other. How could we not see each other as you mystically united and abiding with Christ? How would that not change the way we look at each other? How did you get into this body? How did any of us get to be a part of Christ's body? Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. When you were saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. You don't have to seek some second blessing or some later uh, 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 sort of Later baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, when you were saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. That's salvation, which was then symbolized and publicly proclaimed through believer's baptism. Let the world know that you're forever for King Jesus. No matter where you are on the planet, no matter what used to define you. See, he's got Corinthians that are ethnically Jewish. He's got Corinthian Christians that are ethnically Jewish. Gentile. He's got some that are slaves, some that are free. He's saying those are things the world labels you. Those labels don't apply anymore. When you go through the waters of baptism, if you are a blood-bought brother or sister in Christ, it's like no matter where Christians are on the globe, we're all wearing the same jersey. You've got Jew, Greek, slave, free, Alabama, Auburn. And yet, here we are, one jersey, Team Jesus. That's why, haven't you experienced this? Some of you, uh, after COVID, you're able to begin physically regathering. C- can you even put into words the joy you feel, feel at physically being able to regather? Isn't it precious? Isn't it good? Why? Because wherever you are on the planet, this is your family, the body of Christ. I remember studying abroad as a junior in college and uh, uh, ostensibly there to learn German. We were a German university. My German was so bad. So I would try to go to church. I couldn't understand a word. I mean, I was supposed to know the language, but it's hard. And so we took an excursion one weekend and found ourselves in Prague. And there in Prague was an international Baptist church, and they had an English service. And I made it there, and when I walked in, here are people from Ghana and expats from across North America and Australia and Europe and all, and, the, and, and, and there they were singing hymns, and, and I felt perfectly at home. Here I am in Prague in the middle, of, but what united us? We'd all been radically changed by this Jesus, and here I'm with my family, see, and you felt something like that, the body of Christ. The old divisions don't divide us anymore. The idea is one spirit, right? You were made to drink of one spirit. Remember, the Corinthians were in pagan world, right? They were in mythology. If you needed wisdom, you'd go over here. If you needed, you know, and, 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 and beseech, you know, this, this God. If you needed love, you'd go over here to Aphrodite or whatever, you know, and Cupid, and you'd go to that God or goddess. And if you needed this or you needed that, he's saying, no, 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 there's one God. So these gifts come from the same spirit, And one more thing to point out about verse 13. I think it's interesting that Paul says, For in one spirit, we. Paul puts himself in this. He doesn't say this body metaphor is for y'all and me. I'm I'm an apostle. You know, I'm a pastor. I think Paul would be very sad, in a way, to look at the way we've put pastors on some sort of spiritual pedestal. A pastor is just a part of the body, and he ain't the head. Right? We have a head. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the pastor, ultimately. We're just under shepherds. Jesus, the Lord, is my shepherd. Psalm 23. You need to know, I I personally reject that there is an essential difference between ordained ministers and lay people. I believe there's a difference of gifts and function, but hear me clearly, but not essence. Paul says we were baptized into one body. So that means interdependence. Four, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. And with these words, Paul begins what is quite possibly the most famous sermon illustration of all time. It would be gilding the lily for me to try to illustrate this illustration. So let's just jump right into it. Paul says, think of the interdependence of the many parts of the body, but he doesn't call them body parts, he calls them members. That's why for this sermon, I'm calling it every member member a member. (laughs) Every member, a member. The reason I'm being redundant here and using this is because I'm using member. I want to recapture what the word member means. The irony is we've taken the word member, which means body part. And over the years, we've watered it down to mean so much less. The word member means appendage, body part, limb, Nowadays, it just means a person who like belongs, you know, who pays. Usually, they pay dues to get certain rights and privileges. Come on, how many of you are a member of a gym? Raise your appendage. Okay, it's okay. Be proud. I I know. Yeah. Listen, member. I get it. You haven't been since January, but that's okay. That's okay. How many of you are a member at a gym somewhere? Raise your appendage. Okay. Good. Now. How many of you would say, how many of you would say, how many of you think of yourselves as an arm of that gym? How many of you, if you stopped going to your gym, how many of you, the gym would say, ah, the pain of dismemberment. We have lost a limb here at Planet Fitness. Is that what they'd say about you? Most of you would think, well, honestly, I don't think they'd notice unless I quit paying my dues, right? You see what I'm saying in the same breath we say my arm is a member of my body and I am a member at Planet Fitness those are not the same thing now you may think I'm being funny but this explains so many questions people have about the Christian life until you understand that every member is a member you'll never be able to answer questions like who am I What's my purpose? Why don't I feel close to God? Why am I not growing? When you're a member, when you're part of the body, it only makes sense. You're only alive and healthy when you're connected to the body. Look, if I come up to you and offer my hand as a handshake, oh, sorry, (laughs) pre-COVID. Remember when we could do that. If I come up to you and offer you, if if I offer you a hand, if I offer you my hand, right, that's warm and inviting. You see what I'm doing? I'm reaching out fellowship. That's that's an act of kindness. I want to get to know you. I'm offering you my hand. See, if I offer you my hand, it's warm and inviting. If I offer you a hand, that's different. Right, so I bring you, floating in a jar of formaldehyde, a severed hand. You see, you you don't think, oh, that's warm and inviting. You're going to call the cops one of the most famous sermons I preached in New York was I had this, I had this jar, and you could see it was, it was veiled. I had, a, I had a drape over it, big, big jar. And I preached about the body. I said, the, a, a body part not connected to the body is not healthy. It's not growing. And this, this jar, everybody is, of course, the whole congregation is like, please don't, please, please don't, right? A body part cannot grow if it's not connected to the body. A body part cannot be healthy if it's not connected. everybody's like, please don't, please. Right? A body part, the conclusion of the sermon, cannot be healthy if it's not connected to the body. It can't grow. It can only bloat. And there, fo- floating in a jar of formaldehyde is a severed fake hand that I'd found in a costume shop. And, of course, kids are crying and people are leaving. And um, I was fired the next week and became your pastor. At the- <laughs> I'm just kidding, but people still talk about that. In fact, when I when I left years later, as a parting gift, one of the things they gave me was this hand in a jar, this little fake, this toy, obviously toy hand, and it, as a note that said, "Stay connected to the body," Pastor Tom. Uh, now that's uh, we you know we can laugh at that, uh, but God, when He looks at a Christian who's not connected to a local body, doesn't think cool; He thinks gross. Why? Because a body part not connected to a body doesn't make any sense. You'll never find your purpose. How can a hand find its identity and purpose apart from the body? When Christians who aren't connected to a local body say, well, why don't I feel close to God? A hand severed from the body cannot enjoy the warmth and nourishment the body sends to extremities. Why am I not growing? Because you're bloating in a jar. Get connected to the body. Why, why, Why wouldn't a Christian do that? It's more common than you might think. And Paul says there's two lies. There's two lies you'd be believing. Why would anyone separate from the body? Why would someone say, I, I, I just, I, I can't do this. I can't be part of the body. Paul says there's two reasons. It comes down to two reasons. One, both of them are lies. You're believing one of two lies. The first is you're believing the lie of inferiority. Y'all don't need me. Or you're believing the lie of superiority. I don't need y'all. That's it. There's only two lies. The lie of inferiority. Y'all don't need me. They don't need me over there at first bats, Or superiority. I don't need this in my life. I don't need y'all. That's it. He starts with inferiority. Look at where the text takes us. Inferiority, then superiority. Look at first at inferiority. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Look, I get it, foot. You're not as glamorous as the hand. I get it. Here Paul gives encouragement to the lowly. The foot gets depressed at its inability to exercise the complicated functions of a hand. The foot's always in the dust, always bearing the weight. Foot's thinking to itself, it feels like people just walk all over me. And everybody cares about hand and the, the, oh, and the cleaning during COVID. You won't believe the amount of hand washing, but only a few of you Baptists will do a foot washing. <laughs> See, it's all about the hand. Hand gets all the press. And, and so the foot thinks I'm not even part of the body because I'm not a hand. And he's dead wrong. He's believing a lie. Feeling not part of the body doesn't change a thing. That would not make it any less part of the body. Every member a member. And then ear chimes in, verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I, don't, I, don't, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Listen, ear. I get it. Among all the sense organs, I get it. Eye gets all the press. Have you ever heard of two young lovers gazing into one another's ears? I know. And how many times does ear have to hear people say what beautiful eyes you have before ear eventually thinks, maybe I don't even belong here. Y'all don't need me. You know, eye is plugged in. Eye has perfectly found its socket, and I'm out here flapping in the wind. Ear feels this, and ear is believing a lie. Now, I want you to see an interesting insight here. Don't miss this. Foot is jealous of hand, but not ear. Why? Because hand is just enough like foot to be jealous of. Ear's in a totally different line of work, so there's no comparison. And ear has got all its issues with eye, but not with foot or hand. That's how life works. It reminds me of something I read recently that A.W. Tozer wrote. Listen carefully. Envy never crosses line. Envy never crosses lines. What do I mean? What Tozer meant was a piano player can hear people gush on and on about how talented and Brilliant and glorious this particular painter is and just join right in the celebration That's great. He can say what what a great painter a piano player is not threatened by that at all. Why? Because the painter's not in his line of work. But when he has to hear about another piano player, envy brews. Why? Because envy stays in its lane. Envy never crosses a line. We envy the people who are just enough like us that we envy them. We don't envy the people who aren't operating in the circle we're in. Young moms don't usually battle comparison and envy with older widows. And hard-charging professionals don't usually compare themselves and envy poets. But when a young mom sees the Instagram account of another young mom, see, envy doesn't cross lines. What it does is lie to us. And a hard-charging professional on the golf course with another hard-charging professional, and look out, what do you have? The potential for envy. Envy never crosses lines. But for those in your lines... A couple weeks ago I was invited to speak to a worship leaders conference I'd never done that I told Chuck I preached to a bunch of worship leaders I'd never done that before and sometimes I've been asked to preach at pastors conferences I've done that many times but never a worship leader conference it was just worship leaders do you know the freedom I felt we just laughed and, and they were cheering for me and I was cheering for them why there's no competition I wouldn't want your job for a million dollars right and they wouldn't want mine. You see what I mean? It's a different line of work. Now pastors at a pastor's conference, right? But there was such freedom. Why? Envy never crosses a line. We could just excel at our own gifts. Envy makes you believe lies, and the comparison trap never ends anywhere good. It's either gonna end in pride or despair. Either pride, I'm better than them, or despair, I'll never be as good as them. Inferiority. So what does Paul do with the lie of inferiority? Y'all, y'all don't need me. I'm not a hand, foot says. Y'all don't need me. Ear says, I'm not an eye. Y'all don't need me. What does Paul do with any of these lies? He blows them up with truth bombs. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? Hmm? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's, I, I, really, I think it's okay to laugh at this, by the way. If you're, if Paul is satirizing this line of thinking. If you're one big eyeball, you're not a person, you're a monstrosity, got it? Paul says, imagine the whole body rolling around as one big eye. And I, I think the funniest part, what makes my kids always laugh when I tell them this story is, you know, Paul thinks you're one huge eyeball rolling around and you're big problem. However, will you hear? I'm like, you got a lot of problems. That's one of them. And if you're one big ear, he says... Where would be your sense of smell? If, 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 if you have problems of inferiority in your church, your whole church is going to get spiritual COVID. They can't smell. Can't smell anymore. Why? Inferiority. Now, if this is hitting you, if you struggle with comparison and envy and inferiority, a sense that they don't need me at this church, you might think that when you hear inferiority, you might think you'd be wrong, but you might think your issue is self-esteem according to the scriptures interestingly it's not your problem is not self-esteem it's god esteem you're not esteeming god you are in rebellion against god you are saying in effect god you did a bad job in giving me these gifts or in putting me here at this church for this time this place where do i get that look at verses 18 through 20 but as it is who arranged all these who arranged all this stuff God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, many parts, yet one body. You see how what you're really saying, when you, when you say, this church doesn't need me, y'all don't need me, I'll, I'll never live up, I'm always under envy in comparison, what you're saying is, God, you messed up in putting me here. But that's pride. Isn't that interesting? I, now look, if you struggle with inferiority, I'm not trying to beat, beat up on you, you probably already beat up on yourself enough. So I'm trying with grace to show you that your issue here is, ironically, pride. You are here at this church for a reason. God doesn't make accidents. See? He has you here. You, here. First Baptist Church, 2021. Because he's arranged it that way. It takes time, it's not easy, but organically, you develop friendships and Sunday school and serving together, and you you serve Monday through Saturday. It's not just about Sunday, it's about serving, not just serving the church. There's always a need to serve the church. But here I'm thinking of serving as the church in this great community. If you feel inferior or unneeded, listen to me. I need you. My wife needs you. Our, my kids need you. I don't want my kids to grow up in a church where there's one body part. Yeah, dad was just a big ear. <laughs> Great listener, but, you know, couldn't do anything else. That's one lie. That's inferiority. That's pride. The other lie, and this is the one he tackles next, is superiority. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You hear that? So the, the, the first was, y'all don't need me. This is I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Got it? So eye looks around. Eye is elevated and I looks way down at old hand. Hand can't do what I can do. Hand, he thinks, is blind. Hand can't behold a mountain vista. Hand can't observe an ocean. Hand has never read a good book. Honestly, I thinks I'd be fine with would, well, I'd be fine without hand and doesn't think much about it oh but, then, oh but then that day came when they got sideways we've all done it weren't paying attention you're moving around and you poked yourself in the eye and that was all I needed you know what I'd be better off without hand at all happened with head and feet too I don't need you you know what I'm, I think I'm off I'm, I'm going to go to a body where everybody's like me And then head. Head is at the top. Head has all the important stuff. Head has brains, eyes, ears, taste, smell, all right here. If anyone should be served and protected, head thinks, it's me. Feet, I mean, feet and head, what do they have in common? I guess head doesn't really have a problem with feet very much until that day came. And there was a little bit of rainfall that week, and the garage was just as slick as could be and weren't paying attention. And what did feet do? Feet slipped and knocked Head so hard, thought I was going to see stars. And head says, feet, this is on you. <laughs> I'm out of here. I don't need you. I'm going to go find a body where everybody's ahead. I don't need this anymore. I don't need you. Everybody hear that? Now, the unity of your body, aren't you glad, means that your body members will never do that to one another. And that's Paul's point. We should be glad that I can't say to hand, I don't need you. Or that head can't suddenly dismember itself from foot. Because you can lose a hand or a foot, I suppose, and go on living. But that misses the point. We're in this thing together. Your whole body wins or loses together. They rejoice or grieve together. So if you look around at church members who are EGR in your opinion. You're surrounded by other church members from time to time, and you think they're E-G-R. That means extra grace required. And by the way, if you're looking around going, I don't know anybody in this church like that, but your whole pew is looking at you, (laughs) then it's you, right? When you see those folks, it is tempting to think, maybe, just maybe, we'd be better off without them. That grieves Paul and it grieves the heart of God. Paul says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He's saying looks can be deceiving. They seem weak, but if God gave us the church to practice love, that if they are E-G-R, extra grace required, then pray for extra grace. Who's ever heard of a church that had a problem with too much grace? I haven't. Typically, God works that way. He uses the weak things of the world to topple the strong. If the church operates radically different than the world, then that, there's only one word to describe somebody. You think maybe we could do without? Indispensable. So I don't know, I don't know what kind of car you drove in here with, car or truck or whatever, uh, but uh, I, I can guarantee you this. You, uh, you've got some fancy schmancy equipment on that car. Uh, especially if it was a car built in the last 10 years. Do you realize the circuitry and the gadgetry and the uh, computer parts that uh, operate in your car? You've got continuous variable transmissions, perhaps. I'm making all this up. You've got, well, I tell you this, you've got an electronic ignition switch. You've got an electronic ignition system. How do I know that? I, I don't think any of you are out cranking, you know, Your Model T with a hand. So at the very least, grant me this. You've got an electronic ignition system. That alone is an incredible piece of engineering. That that happens through an electronic little mini brain that can fire at just the right time to hit the spark plugs, to make that thing go. So you have all this sophisticated equipment on your car. You know what else you got? You got one of these right here. You know what that is? That is an oil... Drain plug. Its job is to plug the drain where the oil goes. Some scholars believe that's how it got its name. I will show you how sophisticated the oil drain plug is. You ready? That's it, it's got a gasket, it goes like that, uh, and it goes in the plug. (laughs) My point is, that is about the least sophisticated piece of equipment I believe you could imagine on a car. But you might have the most sophisticated parts in the world, but if you remove that, or if that malfunctions, all your fancy equipment won't get very far down the road, will it? Why? That unimportant piece is indispensable. It's indispensable. Every member a member. So dial down the pride. That's what Paul's saying. Those parts of the body we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. We not only need these that seem to us weaker, and everybody, I guess, has a different definition of that. The Bible says bestow extra honor on them. All parts are equal value, but if there's to be any overcompensation, it's to be for the less favored. The church is not to be like the surrounding world. The world always honors those who are already honored. Have you noticed that? The world bestows honor on those that are already honored. The church is countercultural and bestows the greatest honor on those who seem to be weaker. John Corson has a really good insight here. He talks about these unpresentable parts versus presentable parts. He says, think about it. When you go out and get ready to go out, you don't spend all your time and energy on things that have already good. You spend all your time and energy on covering what? Blemishes, Okay. So, you're looking in the mirror, you're looking for, oh, you know, this doesn't look right, or, you know, this hair's all going crazy, or, right? Your healthy parts don't need any special attention. So, you, you know, you you give all this attention to those parts that are blemished and need to be corrected and need to be covered up or made up or gelled up or whatever. So, look at the church. Look at any church. Look at this church. To press the analogy, who gets all the attention? Who's up front? Who's talking all the time? Remember, the blemishes, the less honorable parts, get all the attention. So Tom, where does that put you? Exactly. The healthy parts don't need the attention. They just quietly serve and do their thing. Sometimes I wonder if we look at preachers and think, oh, God must have called him because he's so healthy. Do you realize it could be just the opposite? If this scripture is true, it could be that All those years ago when God called me to ministry, he looked at me and said, Tom, mm, you're going to drift away unless you stay in church every Sunday. I know you, you're weak, and you have got to hear the gospel preached week after week, Tom. But the problem is you're so stubborn, the only voice you will listen to is your own. But I love you. So how am I going to arrange things where you'll always have to be in church, you'll always have to preach the gospel, and you'll have to preach it to yourself? I know just what I'll do. <laughs> I'll make you the preacher. Checkmate, Lord. See, It could be out of, because of weakness. Those that are quietly serving don't need a lot of attention. It means you're healthy and presentable. What's the point of all this? There should be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. No division. When a body's functioning healthy, there's no division. What does that look like? It looks like verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is, to me, one of the most tender verses in the whole analogy, isn't it? I'll just ask you. Have you ever experienced that? This is so sweet, and it's so good that once you taste it, you want it again and again and you never want it to be any other way. You say, I wanna be part of this body. Have you ever felt the pain? It was not your pain, it wasn't you, it wasn't your family, but it was somebody else in this church and you felt that pain like it was your own. You have, haven't you? I have too. Oh, church, that's the body. When one part suffers, you suffer together. Nobody's ever sprained their ankle and thought, well, this is something ankle's just gonna have to work out by itself. The whole body limps to go get help and overcorrects and overcompensates. Why? Man, because when you suffer, we all suffer. No one who's ever had a migraine said, I'm fine, I'm gonna go to work, I'll be fine. Migraine is just something between head. This is head's issue to solve. No, it's the whole body. And some of you have gone through a pain in your life that's a lot worse than an ankle sprain and a lot worse than a migraine, isn't it? And you had people in this body that were weeping when you wept and that were grieving when you grieved. Why? Because it's a body. When one member suffers, all suffer together. But look at the flip side. When one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that true? Music is just the transaction between ear and brain, and yet, music just affects ear, and yet, when it comes through ear, what happens? When my jam comes on, right? The whole body is moving. The whole body's dancing. Why? It should just... Because when ear hears that music, the whole body rejoices. And how many of you, after all this rain last week and all that snow, how many of you, I think it was the early part of the week, how many of you were longing for that sunshine? How many of you, the first big sunny day, how many of you went outside and you just put your face in the sun? Well, your face was in the sun, but your whole body radiated with the warmth of that light. And when your church prays for that wayward grandchild, and they come and get saved. The whole church rejoices. Your win is my win. When, when you were overcoming that temptation, and yeah, you tried multiple times, but this time you're walking in that sobriety. The whole church rejoices in that, right? Right? When you see lives change, the whole church rejoices. I was talking this week with a group, and some, somebody gave an invitation, and this little boy began coming down, and in the, they were telling me the story. They were in the balcony just weeping and weeping. And her husband said, do you know that, kid? No. <laughs> she was just rejoicing at life change. You've experienced that. I have too. When you take that step of faith. You are the body of Christ, verse 27 says, and individually members of it. Okay, how do you get there? How do you stay connected and well-attached? I mean, there's some simple application steps you can take. This is not just organization. This is organism. It takes a lifetime. But the first thing I want to point out, if you've not yet joined the church, become an organizationally speaking member. You're part of the body of Christ. Take that step. These application for church memberships are, I left a stack at all the exits, if the Lord's convicting you, maybe you've been here, but you've never joined the church, I think, that would be a, I think that would be a reasonable, logical next step. It could be you need to be baptized, put that jersey on. I don't want you to join this church or any church because you were coerced by the preacher. I want you to join because you were convicted by First Corinthians 12. See? It's love. You know, start going to Sunday school. I'm not, I'm not talking to those of you who long to be part of Sunday school, but there's a pandemic. I'm, I'm not talking about that. That's different. You long to be part of Sunday school. I'm obviously not talking to you. Uh, I'm talking to those 11 people out of every 100. I'm not making this up. Last week, I said, hey, I still call it big church. I had somebody run the numbers. Hey, of our attendance in big church, how many, what percent went to Sunday school? 89%. Yeah, it's incredible. It's worth celebrating. Now, to the 11 out of 100, (laughs) I want to challenge you from 1 Corinthians 12. Why would you skip out on Sunday school? And it may be that, you know, again, I'm not talking about missing a Sunday every now and then. You know the difference between committed and not, don't you? Okay. Uh, Really, according to the scripture, you must believe one of two things about Sunday school. They don't need me. I don't need them. Let the truth of 1 Corinthians 12 sink deep in your heart. Those are lies. Those are lies. So stop believing those lies. It's probably better if you admit, in my heart, I truly believe I don't need this. I don't need this hour of Sunday school. I don't need this in my life. Well, admit that because then the Holy Spirit can work on you. He's gracious and he loves you. And not for nothing, my money is where my mouth is. I joined a Sunday school class, uh, a couple weeks, uh, you know, what, what is it, it's been a month now, we've been able to have that 10, 45 hour for Sunday school, so I don't have anything to do, so I joined a Sunday school class. It's been great, why? Because I need them. They need me. Serve the church, verse three. Serve the church, serve in the church, serve as the church. Now, I'm gonna ask Chuck to come and lead us in a time of response, invitation The musicians will lead us. These are just simple ways you can, you can take that next step, but at the end of the day, none of this stuff is about I hope none of this stuff is ever about guilt. Goodness, I would shudder to think that somebody makes a decision for Christ out of guilt. Conviction's one thing, but never guilt. To really be part of the body, you're never gonna be guilted into being part of the body. It can only come from what Paul calls the more excellent way. It can only come from love. The body is not just an organization that holds together out of obligation or guilt. The body is an organism, and it's gotta come from love. I, uh, I, I love the album, She Must and Shall Go Free. It came out almost 20, over 20 years ago, and uh, sadly, the, the guy who wrote this brilliant album has sort of lost his way, but it's a short album. It's only uh, 10 songs, I think, and it's all about the church. And it's a lot, very honest about the state of the church. And a lot of people have a lot of things to say about the state of the church. But he writes this last song and he writes it from the perspective of Jesus. And it is a message to anyone who says, I wanna follow Jesus. I just don't really care about that church. I wanna follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm sort of a member of all the churches or something like that. I wanna follow Jesus and I'm part of the capital C church, but I'm not gonna buckle down and, and really commit myself to a church This is what this song, this is what I think Jesus would have to say. I have come with one purpose, to capture for myself a bride. By my life, she is lovely. By my death, she's justified. Oh, I've always been her husband. Though many lovers she has known, so with water I will wash her. And by my word alone, so when you hear the sound of the water, you will know you're not alone. I've long pursued her as a harlot and a whore, but she will feast upon me. She will drink and thirst no more. So when you taste my flesh and my blood, you will know you're not alone. There's none that can replace her, though many will try. And though some may be her bridesmaids, they can never be my bride, because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot come for me with no regard for her, If you love me, you will love the church. And I do. And you do too. Let's pray. God, grant that we would take fresh excitement in the fact that we are a member of your body. God, grant that you would protect us from inferiority. The thought, the lie that they don't need me. Or superiority, the lie that we don't need them. God, grant us that. And if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, they're, they're, perhaps they're lost, or they, they need to see the body functioning healthy so that they can glorify you. Or, or, or they're saved, but they've not yet committed to a local body. God, grant them that step of faith. We love you. And out of great love for you and because of your great love for us we love this local expression we love the body and God grant that that love would grow deep and unifying and cast out all fear and that we would glorify you by the way we love in Jesus name we pray amen Scott's gonna be down here to receive any who may come brother Chuck you lead us would you stand to your feet that we've heard today about the body and we go to Sunday school join with me from 2 Peter 3:18 in our benediction grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to him be the glory both now and forever and God's people said amen, amen. amen.